0: Welcome back, Ins Cousins. And thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Love Yours the Podcast, the podcast that promotes black mental health, black mental wealth, and black mental stability. And they will forever be at reach until you Love Yours. Continue our episode today with Michael Clark and Ross as we resume our discussion on black education and the educational systems handling. Of black students. In this episode, we'll discuss more issues within the educational system, as well as the part of black educators and how best to work with our hopeless students the ones that have not experienced academic success, the ones that feel the dread of school coming to an end, the ones that need the most care when it comes to learning, and how best to help them find happiness. So, without further ado, let's start the show.
1: It's your girl Vanessa Dene, And it's your boy Swoosh Knight. And you're tuning into Love Yours, the podcast.
0: Said, Dr. Umar, where, where are you guys at with him? <sighs> Nay, you got this one? You
1: Shut up. <laughs> 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 We're at such a good place. Why would you just ruin things like that? Because,
0: I mean, this is a lot of the stuff that he preaches on. He's all about. He's trying to His take His presentation donations.
1: is trash. Let's be real. Yes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> His presentation is absolute garbage. Oh. Uh. Like, at this point, Ross, take my money. But Umar... Get these hands. I can't. I cannot do it. Yeah. I very, I just can't. Not with him.
2: Very problematic in his patriarchal, oftentimes ugh, misogynistic.
3: Often. Oh. That's an understatement.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is so problematic, but, but I mean, but this is, this is overstated, you know, whether it's Carter G. Woodson saying it in 1933, or whether it's Killer Mike saying it on The Breakfast Club, you know, that he believes all black kids should be only educated by black teachers in black schools up until at least the age of 13, so that they have some sort of foundation of which to understand how to navigate these predominantly white spaces and the bias and prejudice that they're going to experience when they leave these communities. You know, these these are statements that are not uncommon. And you know what's actually a scary challenge, if you ever want to do, is to ask and listen to the stories of our own family members, especially our, our elders. What was your experience like in school? Were you in a predominantly Black school, desegregated school, or were you one of the first students to desegregate? But what was your experience like? Did you ever experience, you know, this or this? And you start hearing stories sometimes that are like, wow, this was happening in 67, huh?
3: Mm-hmm. This
2: was happening in 73, huh?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah, and I mean, that's a, that's a microcosm of the entire African-American experience in this country. Just that if you talk to people... Or if you were to get experiences from people that lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago, yeah, the the severity is different of what they have encountered. At least, like tangibly, like the experience can be different as far as severity. But it's just it's just a repeated kind of theme. No matter how like as you go back, like it's just the same kind of thing. Like it's just a reiteration of the same theme in different practice and more so i guess currently you know by currently i mean like you know 50 60 years it's like okay some things aren't as overt as they were and then it's like that that can kind of that can kind of make it kind of go under the radar for a lot of people and just seem like It's just, like, in the fabric. More so, it's, like, deeper in the fabric. Where it's... For some people, it's... uh, Not as recognizable as it might have been when it was just, like, very overt. Mm -hmm.
1: And that also has to do with, like, the location of where we are. Like, we're in California and people like to... People are, like, delusional, to be
4: quite honest. (laughs)
1: Like, just, like, racism? What? Like, we... I say it all the time. We we live on an island. As far as like people right. thinking, black folks have certain experiences, but it's it's very much here. It's not. We're not exempt. It's just that the people around us who don't experience it firsthand, they think that it's not here.
4: Yeah, and you you don't have to go too far for it to become more overt. You don't have to go too far. Oh, not at all. Outside of outside of these metropolitan areas, for it to become way more overt. Like California is a large is a large state, and <laughs> like it doesn't take it doesn't take too many hours or minutes like before it starts to get a little more overt.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say I think the misconception is that we're actually that we're even in a bubble. Like I would argue that that's probably our greatest undoing is like not realizing that we're not in the bubble.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Like no, for sure.
2: Yeah. Like San Jose. Oakland, Bay Area, we have some extremely like, so California has, I think the most white supremacist or even considered hate groups in the nation. Mm -hmm. And many of these groups are active within the institutions that they're in, whether it's schools, whether it's police department, whether it's, you know, the city governance, administrative spaces, they're all throughout And the lack of education around the acculturation of the black community is so prevalent that you literally have even well-intending people carrying so much bias around prejudice and stereotypes that are perpetuated every single day that even with a smiling face and good intention, they only know how to move in a way that is undermining our own attempts of self-actualization and thriving. And in fact, to even attempt to thrive and to actualize ourselves and to act free feels threatening to them. It is so abnormal for us to speak up and to say what we think and to be fully present. And, and I was even going to shift the conversation a little bit, if y'all don't mind, but to the impact of those of us who even have, quote unquote, done well academically, mm-hmm. who hold degrees in higher academia. and the experiences that we have that only remind us that there there is no escaping this. It it, it might change how it's presented, it might change how we experience this discrimination and this oppressive dynamic as black bodies in a school system, but it is overwhelmingly there. And one of the challenges that I have noticed is that If you read The Miseducation of the Negro, which is like a foundational Black education text, Carter G. Woodson talks about that even when the best of us with the most support and resources and abilities and talents are able to matriculate through the school system, we are educated with tools of white supremacy that we don't even realize are tools of white supremacy. Mm. And we end up accidentally or unconsciously going into our communities attempting to help them with these tools and only end up limiting our own usefulness to actually helping to empower and bring a a degree of freedom to our community.
1: No argument here.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
4: Thinking about the just kind of like conditioning indoctrination like because I was when I heard about the comment about like being taught by black teachers, all black like just black students being taught by just black teachers. Like in my mind, I automatically was like there was like a pushback of it's not that simple because of internalized things.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And like, you know, there are black teachers in in schools and different in, in various like, you know, percentages some more than others, but there's still this, like you're still educated in this system that's just permeating white supremacy. And you see internalized things come out in the behavior towards the black kids from the black teachers. Mm So- Almost
1: definitely. I experienced that in high school.
4: uh, (laughs) Yeah. So like what, so like, even if that was like a practice of, you know, these black kids being taught by black teachers, like what has to be a part of the black teacher's education before they can work with the black kids sure. or or their reconditioning I guess mm,
0: yeah because yeah, I definitely thinking about it and, and have talked about being black with a degree I definitely can see a lot of other black individuals with or at least using their degrees as like oh I'm a step higher I'm more elitist than you or I'm a little bit better and that definitely can definitely change the way you teach kids i gotta admit i'm still open to the idea of hey yeah it would be cool to have just all black teachers up until the age of 13 and i think even in discussions because it sounds more like you know like your hunt for a black therapist is just you're looking for someone that looks like you in this particular setting that knows your struggles and you hope they know how to take care of you and show you that care that that's genuinely Missing from this system, but then I've also met a lot of people that are like, "Yo, I, yo, okay, I'm about to name drop. Him. I hate Mister Proby because he's always on my ass.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yo, oh, I Oh, yeah. I mean, he black, but he don't act like like. I've heard several of those. I t- know Mister Proby is the ops, right? <laughs> 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 yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> So I'm I'm just saying like yeah yeah I think that was uh, that was uh, some of the stuff that I've heard like yeah I've had black teachers later on after elementary school but they weren't cool they did not teach me in the right way so my, and it's my almost like right.
1: but do you th- but like as an adult now like okay we were we were in high school and it's like yeah I don't rock with Mister Propy but as an adult now do you feel like okay. Was he actually trying to push me to be better? Or was he just, he just had that bias and he just was not messing with the black kids?
0: Oh, oh was he supposed to be Morgan Freeman? Stand, what,
1: not Shut stand up. By oh, my God. <laughs> you are a sick man. Okay. No, that
2: is so, that is <laughs> such a problematic film. I, I honestly, I think that it's, it's one of those things where I think there is a misconception around and how we want to push one another like the idea that we have to be twice as good and we have to work 10 times as hard why why like it's it's one thing like i understand the reasoning that well there's so much against you and there's so little support and opportunities that you're going to receive and so but should we have to and i think I think if we shift our mentality from if I notice that my child has to work 10 times as hard to get the same opportunity that a white child has or another student has, then there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with that environment, not my child. And my child should not have to work 10 times as hard because if they're working 10 times as hard on what they have to do in that one class, then how much energy do they have for the next class and the next class and developing socially? And developing within their family and home and connecting and learning about themselves and discovering what they want to do. Like, what are our children going to have left for their own life if they're constantly having to work 10 times harder than everyone else just to survive or have an opportunity in this environment? And I think that it's like, when do we start actually living free? When do we actually start saying, hey, my child is already amazing, smart, talented, a genius in their own right. And if your space is not able to facilitate that and show that as growing and thriving, then mm-hmm. that's not a space that my child needs to be in. And that's why I come back to that conversation around, it's your responsibility. Because if your kid ends up incarcerated, ain't none of those teachers showing up in court. Maybe one, if you're lucky, that somehow connected with and had a deep relationship with that child. But even that's rare, extremely rare. So why would we give a school so much power? Because it really does come down to what we decided to do every day. And really, I had the greatest example of it with a client who I was servicing. I, I was supporting both of her sons who I think they were like one or two grade levels apart, both had significant behavioral struggles due to a lot of trauma that they had experienced throughout their early childhood. And the mother said, if I have to, I will stop working and go back on social services so that I can be here for my sons and homeschool them. Because I would rather struggle now than have to visit them in jail later. And I I thought about this single mother and all she had been through. And I said to myself, I said, whoa. Oh, and this was also one of the sons we were advocating for because he had been harassed by police officers on the 4th of July last year, there were gunshots. He's in the eighth grade at the time. Him and his brother run to the parking lot. A cop grabs him, cuffs him, puts him on the ground, doesn't call his mother. The mother somehow finds out that he's being cuffed and put on the ground, comes to pick him up. The police officer says, No, I won't give him to you. You have to go back and get your identification and then I can give him to you. She goes back. When she gets back, the cop uh decides to take off and to Incarcerate him, put him through the actual system, knowing that the child did nothing, did nothing wrong at all. When the child spends the next, I want to say, two days getting out of the juvenile system for doing absolutely nothing wrong, when he's literally traumatized by this event, and it's to say that to watch this mother's strength in all that her family had been through, and she says, you know what, my level of investment. I would rather this. I would rather go through this impoverished experience economically than to risk my children's long term outlook and opportunity for them. And I was like, wow, now what if as a community we had that outlook? What if as a community we began to say, you know what, whatever we have to do, and I believe that. As we do that as a community, it then brings us to new potential opportunities where we stop trying to do it on our own and start being like, now, how can we work together since we don't want to be in this impoverished experience, since we don't want to have to be dependent upon social welfare, since we don't want to have to all quit work just so we can ensure that our children receive an education. And and it's like, but, but we can't get there if our mindset is still, the school has the responsibility for my child's future, and I'm willing to relinquish that responsibility and relinquish that power to them in hopes that they will somehow do what they have statistically proven. Not only do they not have the, have the skills to do or the structural system to do, but that most of them will not even have the investment to even try to do what they can do.
1: I think a lot of parents, you know, unfortunately, it's like a vicious cycle. They may may not have had a person in their corner to that extent, so they don't. They kind of don't know how to do it. And then it is it, it is the time where you want to lean on your community. I'll use myself as a, as an example. Like I said, a lot of my parents cannot talk to their child's teacher because they're they have to work. Like it's just not a thing. But I will be that person that it's just like, OK, yes, I educate all of my students like, yo, the reality is systems not set up for us. These people are going to do whatever they can to keep you in a box and to fail you. But you never let anyone fail you. And they're just like, what do you mean you? I earned an F. I, That's what I get. I'm like, do you feel like you earned an F? You you can sit there and tell me that you went to class every day and you feel like you earned an F. And they're like, well, no, but that's what my teacher gave me. As long as you feel like you didn't earn an F, I will go talk to that teacher. We're going to go talk to that teacher. I was taught there's no way a teacher is just going to fail me and can't explain to me why I have an F. If I feel like I'm I'm participating in class, like, yeah, I may get some low test scores here and there, but I'm doing my homework. I'm trying my hardest. There's no way on God's green earth that you're giving me an F. It's not happening.
2: I mean, I would even go a, a step further and say, one of the first things I tell parents to ask teachers is, I want to see your unit plan. Ooh.
1: Oh, yeah, most definitely. Oh,
2: that's okay. that's just off top. And this is this is the plan that they're supposed to have in place to say what they're going to be teaching for the next month or two months within their curriculum. And then once you have the unit plan, then you say, Now I would like to see your lesson plans. Now this, this is the cutting edge right here of where you're going to be able to advocate for your grades. The majority, overwhelming majority of teachers do not have a daily or even sometimes weekly lesson plan.
1: Oh, not at all. That
2: means the actual like, how I'm going to actually disseminate this information in a structured fashion to meet the needs of my students and whatever challenges they have, if they have an IEP, if they have uh, special needs, anything like that, if they need more auditory reinforcement, if they need more certain material that's in a certain language, all the different stuff that they're supposed to be doing. Did you integrate that into a lesson of how you're going to ensure that you disseminate that to my child? 99% of the time, they have not, even when they have a lesson plan, they have not specifically looked at how they're going to support your child to get this information to them. So from there, you can literally start going into, okay, well, how often did you speak to my child while you were giving out the information of how to do this assignment? Did you reaffirm what you were saying and make sure that they actually understood it? Did you follow up with them You know, when this wasn't turned in? how come it took you so long between something not being turned in to contact me, Mm. right? How come you didn't just, you know, like there's so many aspects. And at the end of the day, I learned this the clearest when I was coaching basketball, ironically, at Sacred Heart Preparatory in Menlo Atherton, that those parents will not allow you to give their student less than a B. And many times, not even to give them a B. They will literally say along the way, "Oh no, you're gonna give my child an extension <laughs> to uh, to get this work in, Oh, yeah. or I'm gonna go to the principal."
3: Mm-hmm. Aren't they?
2: And so it's like we have power, but a lot of times we just don't know, we don't yeah. understand because it wasn't set up to give it to us.
1: A lot of parents don't get that. Like I've had teachers change my kids' grades because I'm just like, "Okay, well, she has her notebook here. Can you please tell me on what days this was assigned?" Like I'm mm-hmm. like, why why are your things different? That makes no sense. Maybe you didn't get through the lesson you thought you did, but you didn't. So you can't you can't blame that on my kid.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then
1: it's just like, oh, maybe there was a miscalculation. Let me refigure this. All of a sudden, my child's no longer failing your class, but they indeed have a C plus or a B minus. Okay, that's fine, and I'll be back next week just to make sure we yep. don't have this problem anymore.
2: Yep, yep. And then when you say things like. Well, you know when when they when they come back to you, well, they've had issues you know the whole year, and they had it last year, too it was like, oh, okay, well, then what adjustments did you make?
1: Hmm? yeah,
0: how or did when, you attempt when to... did
1: you tell me about these issues because this is news to me i I'm just yeah. now hearing this Ooh,
0: and will they will not let you know no no, <laughs> oh, no
1: that's not a thing, but that's oh, the man. first thing I tell parents to say when did they contact you like you can't you can't just give me an f, it's not happening. <laughs>
2: And this is what what Black parents have to understand, is that grades are not an assessment of your child's abilities or intelligence or outlook. Mm -hmm. It is specifically a tool to administer resources Mm -hmm. to your child in this society. Those grades will directly impact the resources they get in order to be successful in terms of job opportunities, in terms of access to financial communities where they can gain a a higher earning living to be able to support themselves. That's what it means. That's what it actually does. Mm -hmm. And so when you allow your child to walk away with an F or a D or a C or even a B, what you're saying is I am okay with them having that level of access to resources in this society on top of being black on top of them being a black woman or a black man. That's what I am okay with. Mm. So
0: I definitely hear about the parents and advocating. That's the biggest thing. That's going to be the biggest part because they have that leverage on parents because I think if any kid checks them, that's not going to work. (laughs) So my, my big thing for the past couple of weeks has been hope and the fact that the lack of hope, makes it a lot harder for people to be motivated to try to see kind of what steps they need to take in order to have the energy enough to put forth the effort they need to succeed. What is your suggestion or what do you guys think about those kids that don't have hope that are like, you know what, I'm. they already said I'm not going to graduate or I know I can't do it because I've never had success up until this point. I. What, what do you guys say to, to those kids within our community.
2: I could go in on this one. I, I, (laughs) every, almost every one of my clients, I say, I don't don't care if you get straight F's, you have to ensure that you don't fail in life. Mm -hmm. And I remember a, a personal story is, I knew a young lady who dropped out of school going into her junior year of high school, but she dropped out and she didn't find her sanctuary or community in the streets, she found it going to libraries and reading books. Mm. And through reading books, she developed not only the vocabulary, but the writing skills, the reading skills, the reading comprehension, critical thinking skills in order to carve out opportunities for herself to the point where today she has a master's and she has her own business and she's operated an education in a lot of different areas. At the same time, there's just as many people who, especially when we look back in our own family pedigree, who didn't even get past the eighth grade, but have opened up businesses, successful businesses that maybe aren't as grandiose as becoming a doctor or a lawyer or a CEO of Fortune 500, right? But they own an auto mechanic shop. That's been around for fifteen twenty years, and has supported their family for two generations, mm-hmm. or they 've become a cook uh, in a, a restaurant that they open, or they you know they 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 figure out how to provide for themselves, and that 's where our students have to win and so if they're getting if they 're failing in school, I said, okay, if this doesn 't work for you, how can I support you?" how can i educate you how can i bring to you resources that ensures you don't fail in life so that you can be able to take autonomy of your life Mm -hmm. and have the agency to ensure you have the experience that you want and then for parents to say you need to understand that you're not going to be able to work forever and more than likely you're not going to have this great retirement sitting there waiting for you that you can sit in some country club and and float off into the, you know, beyond, right? Most of our families, our grandparents, great-grandparents are going to depend upon their children to provide and support for them. And so if they do not have that outlook at the early onset of their children's education and early forming, then what they aren't going to understand is that they're setting themselves up to become destitute. And so that's something that they really have to begin to understand that it's not just an investment in my child. This is an investment in in my own future, literally. Because if my child's in jail and and I can't work anymore because I'm 70 and I got a bad back and I can no longer do this physical labor job. And I got to survive off of $800, $900 Eight hundred nine hundred dollars a month, then you know what? I've kind of shot myself in the foot
4: mm-hmm. I mean, when I think about it there there's obviously like the the micro level of yeah, there can be a me, a you, a Ross, a nay that can support X amount of kids with with encouragement and positive reinforcement to try to counteract. The experiences and not just past, but ongoing. We as people that that are supporting them are also combating the ongoing negative experiences and and put downs that affect their motivation. Like there's the there's the micro level, but as we were as I was listening, I was thinking more like the macro level of like the paradigm shift of how there just has to be there would have to be another system. Mm-hmm. And just kind of thinking, like, and not really knowing the answer, but thinking, like, how does that get established? How does that get created? Because there's gonna be the there's always gonna be the other system. There's always gonna be the other system that's that's already had x amount of years of just kind of like wearing on you and and conditioning you. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can get you can get you know you can get parents that will participate, you know, in the courses and the programs, but then, you know, you you still also going to get a lot of pushback too. You know, they have an idea of like what they're supposed to do or how life is supposed to be or what they're supposed to be striving for that's based on, you know, based on white supremacy and how do you intervene? How do we intervene to ensure that, you know, the parents or the grandparents or the caregivers would will, will buy in and, and how can we break down like that, you know, something that's a, that's more deeply ingrained.
0: I mean, yeah, I think definitely working with hopeless kids and talking to them about school, which is not something they like. It definitely sometimes feels like in the room that it's a they have a vision of their future. They they know graduating. It's it's a major piece in it, especially into. Their ideal life of how you know or what's been painted for it because of everybody else's is, is striving for that, the goal of you know we graduate, we go off to a four year university, you know u c l a Notre Dame, you know something big that gets uh televised every weekend for their football games or basketball games, and then we get this six figure job and we live happily ever after, and I can buy my mom a home, but when eventually they fall back too far behind it definitely does seem like they they just missed a train and they kind of are like it they do kind of sit in that bleakness when working with them i think a lot of them do need that kind of sense of hope so a lot of it is look if you can get this one win where can you get it and then we kind of build from there and then kind of working with them to expand on their reality of you know what yeah you may fin- you may have to go for an extra year. But will you still get a diploma? will you still will you will that get you closer to kind of where you want to be, or maybe we need to refigure out where where your ideal place is because not everybody wants to be at that six figure job. Some people are probably fine with log cabins living in the woods or maybe a studio in New York. That's fine too. readjusting their realities and what they want, and you may need to take a different path. Or there are some that still want the education, they still want the dream. It's just expanding the routes that they can take, and some don't know. Well, actually, a lot of those, a lot of kids don't know kind of what things, what op, what routes they they could take, what options they could use as alternatives to get to where they want. And I often tell them about my story about how like I didn't have the best grades, I didn't do the best job, but having some wins, taking things in my own hands and the right opportunities, some luck that kind of kept me in the game for some hope. But I do agree also with Ross too is figuring out what they want, redefining their idea of success and how can we help you continue to live and be happy and strive for something you want. But it's it's definitely different for everybody and I think in those situations, especially when you're out of hope, you need a partner in it to also kind of help you see the light a little bit and be a little bit more practical. But once again, uh, we don't all have that.
1: I think that in my situation, I try to be that light for the kids. And I know we're talking about all the kids, not just the ones that we are helping throughout things but I feel like being able to back up what you say because there are a lot of people that are so called here to help children be successful and you know talk is cheap at the end of the day like if these kids if you're if you're spitting all this knowledge and these kids are not buying into what you're saying because you're not walking it like you talk it then what what's the point You know what I mean? If I was a child or if I was still in high school and someone was telling me that I could be all these things and I just need to apply myself and so on and so forth, but I don't see them putting that same type of energy into trying to get me to apply myself, like I'm still not going to do it. Um, So I try to be that person. This is why I have no problem confronting a teacher. This is why I have no problem talking to a principal. Whoever needs my support, whatever it may be. You need to figure out how to get this science project done, whatever. I am that person. And my kids, when I came in and took over my program, they weren't really rocking with me because it's just like, who is this lady implementing these rules? What you mean? I can't just show up when I want to, like stuff like that, holding them accountable. But they also know, I allow them to hold me accountable. I'm not going to be sitting here talking out the side of my neck of how you need to get this, this and this done to be successful, but then not give you the tools to do so and not back you up 110%. So once my kids have seen Miss Vanessa in action and know that she is about this life that she talks about, that she is going to go to bat for these kids no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes them a little more hopeful about them possibly having a better future because they know that they have someone in their corner. So that, that's what I try to practice. I feel like a, you know, a more hands-on approach and yeah, I do support some of the, you know, some of the kids school is not made for them. Like that's just not their thing. Yeah. I'm about the school life, but there are certain subjects I don't rock with and it, it's going to happen, but I still hold those kids down to, you know, I, I focus on something that they do like and I find a way to tie it back to school because at the end of the day, the way the system is set up now, the way the society is set up now, they do need that education, at least some of it. So I'm going to do my best to push them, carry them, or drag them to that finish line.
0: Yeah, you know, it definitely takes a village. Definitely a lot in this discussion. I, mean, I hope you really got some gems. Definitely one thing, I guess, for joining us here on Love Yours, the podcast.
1: The podcast that promotes black mental health,
0: black mental wealth,
1: and mental stability.
0: And they will forever be out of reach until you
1: love yours. Our guests, would you guys like to reintroduce yourselves? Let these people know where they can follow you, whether that be IG, Twitter, or both.
4: <laughs> Michael Clark, mental health therapist working in Oakland. Don't really have <laughs> any like content to be followed, but... I might in the future. I'm, 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 it's
1: something that I'm thinking about. For sure. That's what's up. We'll be on the lookout. And this
2: is uh, Ross Nyong'a of, of Nyong'a Consulting and uh, Intersections of Being Life Coaching. Follow me on Instagram under The New Nyong'a. Thank you for having me. This has been a, a great conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be in community to be able to talk about these these aspects of education in a way that can move our community forward. Sure.
0: It's your boy, swoosh night, swoosh underscore kn-g-h-t. Your boy license out here, and you know, maybe I might change my name if Nay lets me. You know. <laughs> Gotta be a little bit more professional, I No
2: such thing as professional. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey.
1: If you would like to follow me on IG and Twitter, uh you can follow me at Danae underscore Vanessa, that's D-A-N-E-E underscore Vanessa, V-A-H-N-E-S-S-A. As always, we encourage you guys to like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review. You can follow the podcast on IG at loveyours underscore podcast and on Twitter at loveyours underscore pod. Thank you guys again, and uh, we'll see you next time. Well,
0: yeah. Tune in next week. Let's roll on. All right. Peace.
1: Bye.
3: The podcast. The podcast.